Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, and this edition of our podcast, Louisville head coach Chris Mack joins me. The Cardinals atop the ACC. Michigan's Juwan Howard, after the Wolverines knocked off Rutgers at Madison Square Garden. I was at the game. We caught up after the game. Of course, my Katz ranks this week's edition, the top 10 most balanced teams. I know there'll be debate of who's not on the list, and of course, how I rank them. That's fine. I want to hear from that. Of course, we will have our predictions, the back end of the podcast with Chad Acock from Turner Sports. And then, coming up right after headlines, Joe Lenardi, the original bracketologist. We're going to go over my latest bracket, just going to discuss it a little bit. It's on NCAA.com and March Madness. And this coming weekend, the top 16 from the Men's Basketball Selection Committee will be unveiled. We will have a bracket after that top 16, discuss this with Kevin White, the Duke Athletic Director, who is the current chair of the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. All right, time for our headlines in college basketball. At number five here this week in college basketball. But San Diego State fights back from down double digits to a 12-point win, 23-0, and still undefeated. San Diego State remains undefeated by winning two of its toughest remaining games at New Mexico and at home against Utah State. Malachi Flynn, he had 16 points, five assists, because that's what he's averaging, uh, made a strong case to be an All-American. At number four. Joyner dribbling it up court. He's at the top of the key. Fires a shot at the buzzer. Good! And it counts! Joyner just hit a three to win the game for Tulsa! Holy smokes! The American Conference is officially wide open with surprising Tulsa. Suddenly the team to beat after beating Wichita State at the buzzer. The Golden Hurricane had already beaten Memphis and Houston. Their one loss in the league was to Cincinnati. It's the only time that they would play the Bearcats this season. They do not play them again. And check out Elijah Joyner's post-game reaction, having his father see him for the first time. He's the one that hit the three-pointer to knock off Wichita State. Great video. Check it out. I retweeted it on my feed at TheAndyCats on Twitter. At number three, Boston College has spoiled Cole Anthony's return. But Drew Timmy and a Gonzaga team without starter Killian Tilly survive here on the Hilltop. Yeah, that's the right word. They, they did survive. They, they were tested. Cole Anthony returned, but North Carolina still lost to Boston College at home. 
So all those people out there that thought that Cole Anthony returning would mean that the Tar Heels could make a run to the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to win the ACC tournament. I don't care if they sweep Duke. They're going to have to win the ACC tournament. Could it happen? I guess it could be a bit of a reach. But right now they look like uh got to get above 500 to be an NIT team. At the same time, Killian Tilly, again, went down with this time an ankle injury happened in the Santa Clara game. Yet the Zags were able to sweep that Bay Area road trip, knocking off Santa Clara and beating San Francisco. Philip Petrusev, who was our... March Madness, Player of the Week, had an outstanding weekend in the Bay Area. Uh, Drew Timmy coming off the bench to replace Tilly. Had a great game. We just hope that Killian Tilly can stay healthy somehow, get back for the stretch run and into the NCAA tournament. Uh, He's gone through so much. He came back to play with the Zags. They got another chance to win the national championship, get to the Final Four. Luckily, it was not a high ankle sprain, nothing broken, just an ankle sprain. Hopefully, Tilly comes back soon. Headline number two. It is really difficult to stay positive when you've lost five of six. Well, welcome (laughs) welcome to the dog days of February. The unpredictable season had one of its most surprising days with a a desperate Xavier winning at Seton Hall. Creighton, our March Madness Team of the Week, avenging a home loss to Villanova by winning at Villanova. And Wisconsin which was down two guards. Uh, Brad Davison suspended one game for uh, a punch to the groin uh, during uh, a screen. And then Kobe King, who left the Wisconsin program uh, at a very difficult time. He decided to leave, said it wasn't the right fit for him, so he was gone. And yet, Wisconsin still knocked off Michigan State at home. This team's going to the NCAA tournament. And the headline of the week. And Braxton Key with some finishing touches as Virginia is going to finish this game on an 8-0 run and add a much-needed signature victory. Reigning national champ Virginia is back in our bracket. Yes, they got a much-needed victory at home over Florida State. So Virginia right now, barely, because I have them in the first four in my bracket, playing USC, they're back in the bracket. Can they stay there? Well, they're going to have to keep winning, but they got a chance now. There's a lot of chatter. How could Virginia not be in your bracket? But the reality is they did not deserve it. Now they do, although the back part of the bracket is very fluid. You can put a lot of different teams there, and Virginia is in at this moment. All right, those are your five top headlines in college basketball of the week. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Joel Lenardi, the original bracketologist, from ESPN, my mentor, we go back to when I was slaving away at Blue Ribbon, doing every West Coast conference there was. I think my record, Joe, was 48 schools, I think, for you for Blue Ribbon. And that was at a time when there were only 248 in the book. So you were like 50% of the product. No wonder why it's gotten better. We're both gone. Good That's right. That's right. All right. So. Uh, you are doing many more brackets than I am. I'm uh, doing brackets for March Madness, so trying to learn from the best. Uh, and then this weekend, we've got the top 16 that will be revealed by the Men's Basketball Selection Committee, the chair this year, Kevin White, the athletic director from Duke. They'll announce that uh, around in the noon hour on CBS on Saturday. Uh, first, in general, Joe, what have you thought of uh, 
this reveal in February of just giving a sneak peek of where teams are and, and to give everyone a top 16? It seems to be getting less attention each year. Is that me being biased against the idea or is that really what's happening? I'm not sure. No, I think I think there's a more I think there's an expectation of it. I, what, what I like about it is for me, it's a little bit of a reset where even though I, you know, I'm usually within the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of affirms what I think. Now, I know it's not the gospel. It's not exactly what's going to happen here, but it gives you a little bit of OK. Um, and, and then when we get to Selection Sunday, if memory serves, it's usually been, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be that crazy. Maybe what? At least three fourths of that 16 are within the 16 when you get to Selection Sunday. It's been more than that, actually. I think it's averaged 13 point something for those, you know, who keep track of such things. Right. But, you know, you're right. Let's say they made San Diego State a three. Okay. Then you'd have to say, all right, they're not viewing this the way the rest of us are viewing this and maybe readjust, recalibrate, reset or whatever. Um, I, I also think it goes the other way, though. If they made San Diego State a three, like to me, they're they're a clear one seed in this set of teams. Yes, this year, okay. If they were to make them a three, the reset also goes back toward the committee, the cognoscenti, if you will. We might push back, and they might shift because there's enough time for that, and enough you know new data coming in, and enough new results coming in. For them to go, oh, maybe we didn't think that through as clearly as we should have. Um, all right, so I think we both agree to this point in advance of what they're going to do, but for our purposes, that at this juncture, this moment in time, Gonzaga and San Diego State are both on the one line. Um, when's the last time you can remember that there have been two one seeds from the West? There have been two Pac-12 one seeds. I want to say Stanford and Arizona were both one seeds. Uh, it feels like maybe in the 0102 range. So nearly 20 years. Right. But what's really peculiar here, obviously, is not just that they're two, neither is from the Pac 12. And because there's no runaway deadlock number one ACC or Big East or overflow Big Ten team. That extra West team is the number one seed of the East in Madison Square Garden. And I have never, ever had a one seed in the East from the West. The opposite happens every so often because of the disproportionate number of programs east of the Mississippi. And that's been well documented over the years. But can you imagine San Diego State, let's say, coming into Madison Square Garden in late March as the one seed in the East and playing, you know, I don't know, Seton Hall, Duke, whoever it is. it would almost be the perfect full circle of this crazy season. So I have my other two ones this week were Baylor and Kansas. I actually had Kansas in the East, but you know, I'm, I'm just curious also about the season here. If this were to hold hypothetically, if it's Baylor and Kansas, Gonzaga, San Diego state, and we had two big 12s, a WCC and a mountain West, no ACC, no big 10, no SEC, no Pac-12, no Big East. No Big East. Right. What does that say? It says that every season is its own entity and that the whole thing's pretty random when it's predictable. 
and even more random like this year when it isn't predictable. And then I guess it would be determined by your order of those four teams, one through four, how the regions get aligned. Right. Right. Because let's if you had Kansas as your fourth, then they would be in the east, which I assume is how you. Yes, that's what I did for this week. Because, you know, you've learned and observed well over the years and you don't give yourself enough credit. But, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And, you know, let's also not forget that the number one of the number ones now gets to pick where they go. Right. Right. So let, let's say Kansas beats Baylor in the rematch and or beats them again in the Big 12 tournament. And they're the number one overall seed. Certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Where do they want to go? They want to be south in Houston. They want to go Midwest Indy. Are they thinking about who is most likely to be with us at the top of the bracket in that region? You know, do they want to take the chance of a Louisville or Kentucky being in Indy with a big local crowd, right? You know, they're like all this next level thinking comes into play that will almost invariably result in overthinking and uh, not actually happen in the tournament. Because whenever we try to project matchups, we fall on our face, which is why the committee kind of tries to stay out of that business. All right. You know, I don't want to go through all the seedings here, but I I do want to say, what school, or if there's a couple schools that you see here that could climb, if not to the one line, the two line, that might be on your bracket as a three, four, even a five, that you still see a lot of growth over the next month that really could get up to that one or two line? I, I guess I was still on the Seton Hall of the East bandwagon before Saturday. Yeah, that was a crazy result. Right, because number one, I think San Diego State is going to run the table in the Mountain West. By the way, you know St. Joe's very well. I am saying that I could see this being very akin to St. Joe's of 04. That's exactly what it is. And then lose in the Mountain West Conference tournament the way St. Joe's lost to Xavier in the 810 tournament that year. Right, like almost a road crowd. You know, a lot of people forget Xavier went to the Elite Eight that year also. Like to me, the upset that year wasn't that Xavier was good. It's that somehow they managed to go to the Elite Eight and lose twice to Duquesne. I suspect that's a record. And yes, that could happen. San Diego State would be playing at UNLV. And, you know, they won at UNLV a week or two ago by, what, six or eight? I mean, it was a game. And that could happen. But I I don't think they're going to lose in the regular season. Especially after this week where they won at New Mexico and got the sweep of Utah State. Correct. Their harder ones are now pretty much in the rearview mirror. I do think it's more likely that Gonzaga loses. Because they still have one more with uh, BYU and two more with St. Mary's. Right. So if one of them loses, then we still need a number one seed to join that group. And I would say, you know, let's not discount Duke here. A, because they always have great metrics. B, they appear to be healthy again. And C, like it or not, they're Duke. And I'm not suggesting in any way, and please, like, I don't think there are shenanigans in the room, even with, you know, uh, Kevin White as the chair. I just think it's human nature. Like, when you go to the store and you're looking at, you know, peanut butter, more people still buy Skippy. Yeah, I mean, my, my counter to that will be if they don't win the ACC, you know, they already lost to Louisville at home. Right. I, I can't see it being justified, even though they have better metrics than Louisville, as an example, or Florida State. But if they don't win the league and don't beat Louisville, then I don't see it. So the other school that, and they did lose this past week as well, but they have good metrics as well. If they were to now just go on a run and sweep Arizona and then win the tournament, I think 
Oregon, if Gonzaga or San Diego State slips and Oregon now like runs away over the last five weeks. Yeah, they're too far back. You think they're too far back? They're too far back for a one. They're too far back for a one. Uh, uh, you know, here's one. If you want to continue the St. Joe Atlantic 10 analogy, suppose Dayton doesn't lose any games. You know, they'll be, I don't know, like 31 and two with a loss in overtime to Kansas in Maui. And a buzzer beater to Colorado. In, in, on a neutral court. That's right. not terrible. Right. And I think on a neutral court, most people would say that Dayton would probably be favored against San Diego State. All right. So before I let you go, Joe, back end of the bracket. Uh, I have gotten to the point now where, and I've said this, I think for like two years in a row, but definitely this year, I don't want to hear any complaining, no whining because the last four, you could really say the last eight, Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe even more, but that definitely the last eight, it is splitting hairs with some sense of mediocrity. And so, uh, you know, I mean, it's very fluid, but there's a lot of schools that look very similar, and uh, it gets hard, at least for me, you know, to say which of the last four, you know, are in, which are out, uh, because at this juncture, the differences are very slim. How, how much do you agree with that? I completely agree with that. What I disagree with is, you know, the, the question I get asked most often is, oh, Joe, my goodness. You know, with the way this season has gone, the bubble must be a mess. But they're really talking about the top when they say the way this season has gone. They're talking about seven number one teams, which really don't have anything to do with the teams around the at-large cut line. The at-large cut line is what it is, and it's always a mess because teams have warts or they wouldn't be on the bubble, right? (laughs) Like, like. You're not picking the prettiest girl in school at that point in time. So I don't think the bubble analysis, if you will, is any different. I think what's different and what it might come down to, and you spend more time around the Big Ten than I do, so maybe you'll have some keener insights, my friend. Uh, How is the committee going to treat the Purdue's and the Minnesota's of the world, for instance, who can't help but get a decent number of quality wins because they play so many of those games, right? You know, 15, let's say, and they get half of them at home, so they can't help but win some of them. So, you know, what do we do with a team that's, I don't know, 7-13 and in the Big Ten but has – Five quad one wins. Well, and that's the thing. And, and, and I do spend a lot of time in the Big Ten, and I've confronted that when I've, you know, and you taught me well on this. And it's the Nebraska example from two years ago. Right. When 12 of their 13 Big Ten wins came against teams that weren't in the field. They had one, right. and that was Michigan. And so Tim Miles, who I, you know, think is great, but right. he, and I get why he complained at the time. And he's like, how can we finish fourth and not get in? Well, that's because if you peel back the record, you didn't beat the better teams. And this it wasn't year. wasn't even close, as it turns out. Right. And a number of us said to him and others, it's not going to be close. They didn't even get a home game in the NIT. I know. They were a five. So, so it's not like we were on a thin branch. 
Like right. we were on solid ground. But if you but, flip but that I was line, gonna say, Joe, is this year, this year, there's literally only two schools, Nebraska and Northwestern, who are outside the top fifty in the net. Yes. So you stumble into quality games literally almost every night. Correct. And uh you know, so that's what's gonna be interesting for the committee is how they deal with that. And and so when I hear this, oh, they can't put a team in from the Big Ten that has a sub-500 record, I say, well, yeah, they can if if you have seven wins or eight wins and all of those wins are against teams that are in the field, you're getting in. You know, unless yeah, the you, only, unless you the had a- only way The only way you could justify not putting them in at that point, under current evaluation standards, right, knowing that the target, you know, shifts and evolves year over year. If all your wins are at home, right, right, all your good wins, and you know, let's say you lose nine out of ten down the stretch, but you know, Oklahoma a couple of years ago with Trey Young, that's exactly what happened. They were like two and nine against Quad One in the last two months, and they still got in. In fact, they got in, you know, well above the first four level. So. It, it, it's not a good year uh, for the Lenardi rule, if you will. The You need to be tournament eligible by being at least 500 in your league. Uh, even if we let them count conference tournament games, which I would, uh, toward that goal, um, it, I, I, I just think that while there may be exceptions, and this year's Big Ten is one of them, it's a slippery slope for the sport and the number of exceptional non-majors who get squeezed out is worse than the exclusions that would occur by these losing team majors that get in because historically they don't perform very well in the tournament at all. Really, you know, for every Syracuse to the final four at nine and nine or nine and 10 with their conference tournament loss from what 2016 you know, there's a half dozen Loyola Chicago's that wouldn't have gotten in had they lost in their conference tournament. But I digress. Uh, my job is to analyze, not advocate much. <laughs> well, Joe, I, I appreciate it as always. Uh, where can everyone find your content? ESPN.com. And um, now on ESPN Plus, there's a weekly bracketology show. We got to get you on there, pal. All right. I'll come back. So far, we're two episodes in and. We haven't uh, we haven't hit the skids with the Nielsen's. All right, we appreciate y'all. Thank you. Great stuff. Thank you, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now let's take a look at our Katz ranks, our top ten of the week here at March Madness 365. This week, it's the top ten teams that are the most balanced. This doesn't mean that these are the ten teams that are going to win the national championship or that my list of teams competing for the national championship are limited to this top 10. I've absolutely excluded some teams that I think could and maybe will win the national championship, but right now maybe rely a little bit too much on one player. Maybe don't defend as well, aren't playing as well on the road or neutral court. So I went with this top 10, and I know there's going to be plenty of debate, especially at number 10, because I think a lot of Louisville fans would say they should be higher. But I got them on the list. Why? Quality play at the point. Elite scorer in Jordan Wara. Rim protector in Steven Enoch. They don't allow a lot of transition buckets. And this team is playing balanced basketball. It doesn't always have to be Jordan Wara. At number nine, down the road a little bit in the Commonwealth, Kentucky. Now, Kentucky certainly has struggled a little bit 
on the road in the SEC, but just take a step back. They're backward. Ashton Hagens, Manuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey. Those three players, interchangeable at times, can score, defend, and then up front, Nick Richards has been an elite forward who can score at the rim, be a rim protector. The team is defending well overall. Uh, I think this is one of the more balanced teams in the country this season. Kentucky, they certainly could be hired. At number eight, Florida State. The Seminoles uh, have a potentially rising star in Devin Vassell. Uh, they also defend really well. They're long, athletic, which is total uh, characteristic of a Leonard Hamilton team. This always seems to be the case, that they are very difficult to score against. Now, sometimes they can go through some scoring droughts, but overall, it is much more of a balanced team, a team that you don't need to necessarily stop one player to beat them. At number seven, Dayton. The Flyers have one of the best players in the country, Novi Toppin. Uh, quality point guard play, so they got ball security, they defend well, and while the A-10 may not be as deep as other teams, they're winning on the road, uh, it doesn't always have to be Obi Toppin, they've got great balance right now, and just a great moxie about them overall, I like the Flyers in that position. At number six, San Diego State, the Aztecs defend at a very high clip, they have one of the better players in the country, Malachi Flynn. Uh, they've got shot makers around the floor. Their front court is more than serviceable. When they're healthy, they are one of the more balanced teams in the country. At number five, Baylor. Their front court is relentless. Just throw the ball up, they're going to get it. They've got an elite scoring guard in Jared Butler. This team has been playing more man than zone, but it can play both. So defensively, very balanced as well. At number four, I love the Illini I have from the beginning of the season. Kofi Coburn, Georgie Bishanisvili, two bigs, one that's a bit of a scorer on the wing in Bishanisvili. Coburn, he's a space eater, can finish, really immovable in, inside. Ayo Desumu uh, on, the, on the wing uh, as a lead guard, certainly can score over people, makes big shots. Trent Frazier has adjusted his role, can complement. They've got great rotation players, and they're defending much better than they were a year ago. At number three, Gonzaga. The Zags have maybe the most skilled front court in the country. Philip Petrusev, one of the better sophomore bigs in the country. Killian Tilly, when he's healthy, is a very tough matchup as a shooting forward, and certainly can go inside as well. But when Tilly went down, Drew Timmy steps up. So they've got different players up front and maybe the ultimate glue guy who can be a go-to guy in Corey Kispert. He's having a phenomenal season for the Zags. And on the perimeter, Joel Ayayi has emerged as a scoring guard. And Adman Gilder and Ryan Wooldridge, the transfer guards, have fit right in. Now, defensively, they're better than they've been because of those bigs. They alter a lot of shots. And they're scoring as well, if not better, than any team in the country. At number two, Duke. Vernon Carey, a National Player of the Year candidate, he can take up space, he can be a rim protector, he can score basically all over the lane. Trey Jones, elite on-the-ball defender. Cassius Stanley has emerged as a star for the Duke Blue Devils. And what's important about Duke is, first of all, they are getting healthy with Wendell Moore, but secondly, their experience comes off the bench, and they're okay with that. And so when you have experience coming off the bench, a player like Jack White... That's huge for the Blue Devils. They may be one of the most complete teams, most balanced teams in the country. But at number one, I'm going to go with Kansas. Yudoka Azubuke inside 
can score around the rim, defend, very hard to go around, can alter shots without actually blocking a shot. Uh, Devin Dotson, certainly uh, one of the elite guards in the country, a potential Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. Uh, Marcus Garrett has played at an elite level for them. They defend. They're very difficult to score uh, on. They've been able to win on the road, win on a neutral court, winning that Maui Invitational. Certainly very tough to beat at Fog Allen for the rest of the season. So Kansas right now, I would say, is maybe the most balanced team in the country. Doesn't mean that the national champ is going to come from this list of 10 teams, but right now I've got these 10 as my most balanced at this juncture of the season. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Louisville head coach Chris Mack. The Cardinals, as we speak, 10-1 and one in the ACC, 19-3 and three overall, and they've won eight in a row, uh, including in that streak, a win over Duke. Um, Chris, what has been the reason for this uh, recent streak of uh, really good basketball for you guys? Well, I just think our team's continuing you know, to improve, Andy. I think we took some um, games in the non-conference and uh, – you know, we, we were still trying to figure out how to add Malik Williams and David Johnson as they were getting healthy. And, um, you know, like any good team that I think I've ever coached, I think you continue to get better as the year goes on. Um, you know, guys get uh, uh, where they're playing their roles, uh, you know, really well. And you know, we, we've got a talented team. And uh, I think if you look at our last three games, for instance, you know, we've been led in scoring by a different guy each game. And uh, I think that's the mark of a good team. And um, if you can't just can't just key on one guy um, when you have other guys that can you know deliver a, a really good game for you. So um, just a continual improvement. And, uh, you know, I think we have some good players. Yeah, I, I did a list of uh, some of the most balanced teams in the country. And without question, I knew I'd include Louisville. You know, Jordan War obviously is averaging almost 20 a game, but it clearly feels like both defensively and offensively, this is one of the more balanced teams in the country. When you were putting the, these pieces together and you saw what you had, how much did you anticipate it would be this balanced? Well, I, I never really go into a season saying, hey, this, this is how many I think this guy should average or will average. I mean, uh, I knew our, our players' strengths. Uh, obviously, Jordan brings a, a lot of scoring ability to our team. But, you know, whether it's Stephen Enoch on the interior, Ryan McMahon, who can, you know, absolutely change a game, uh, some talented freshmen, uh, some upperclassmen that were returning. I felt like there were going to be times when uh, when a guy didn't maybe play particularly well on the offensive end or he was a key focal point for the other team, that we'd have the ability to have other guys step up. And, and that's really what we've had. Um, you know, I think our defensive effort and our energy, uh, by and large, the entire year has been really good, and that's allowed us to get out and transition and sort of play the way we want to play. Uh, I know you're not through, uh, you know, multiple seasons, uh, or, or I mean, I mean, I know you've gone through it at least a couple times here. But do you get a sense of the slog of uh, the ACC? And I know this is the first time of 20 games of in comparison of when you were in either the Big East or the Atlantic 10. Well, we just have there's a couple things that are really different about our league. Uh, that, that I'm not very used to. And uh, the first being so many teams, you know, in the big East, it was a true round robin. You played everybody twice. And now it's, you know, the unbalanced schedule of who's playing who and how many times, it, you know, we're playing six teams, two times each and, and uh, everybody else wants either home or away. Uh, and then now we go from 18 games in our conference to 20. Uh, it's an awful lot. So um, it's just, it's just unique. You're going to play a different type of style. Uh, virtually every game. I mean, you think about 
the discrepancy between how Florida State plays and how Virginia plays. Uh, it's just amazing. But, um, you know, that's what this league's about. You have to be able to adapt and, and prepare each and every night for uh, a unique style and a very well-coached team. Isn't it crazy how, like, you know, the Kentucky game, it's incredibly hyped. It's a great rivalry, one of the best, not just in college basketball, but in college sports. And then you got the whole rest of the season. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much on that game, and I get it, and it's important. But at the end of the day, there's a long season that goes after that. It is, and you, you don't you know, never feel that way uh, in the moment. You know, obviously the game is all eyes on you. Uh, this thing <laughs> comes to a halting stop. Uh, for that that week leading up. But, um, you know, our guys were able to put it behind them. Um, it was a tough loss, but I, it one in which I think we learned from, and we've really improved since that time. And, you know, again, I think that's the mark of a good team, you know, continually improving and getting better. So what's your sense of the of the country right now where we've had, uh, although Baylor's holding out for a couple of weeks and Gonzaga's been there, but there's been a revolving door at the top. You guys were there at one point. Uh, and it's not as much movement in the top 10, but there's been a lot of crazy results. I mean, this past Saturday is a great example. Just when we thought, you know, Seton Hall and Nova were going to maybe separate themselves, you know, they lose at home in the Big East. Wisconsin down a couple players. They beat Michigan State at home, and there's been results like this. Just when we think we've got it figured out, it continues to be unpredictable. What's your sense nationally of, of this season so far? Well, maybe you all didn't get it right. You know, <laughs> maybe you all didn't get it right. You know, I look at it now and, and uh, you know, the top six teams really haven't moved a whole lot in the last three weeks or so. So maybe you all didn't get it right. And then I think when you talk about um, teams in the top 25 dropping games, you know, not everybody's going undefeated, Andy. I mean, you know that. I, yes. I don't think I don't think this year's any more unique, especially over the last month than last year or the year before or the year before. Uh, it's hard to win on the road in conference play. You know, I don't, I don't care if you're in the Big South or you're in the ACC. I mean, it's just it's hard to win on the road in your league. Teams are so well prepared. You know, scouting's much much different. Um, so you know, while there've been some teams that have you know maybe lost a game here or there in the top twenty-five, you know, they're losing to you know conference rivals generally on the road, and uh, those top six, seven haven't really moved here in the last three four weeks. All right, before I let you go, Chris. The girls, are they doing volleyball still, basketball? Where are they at right now? Well, my, my middle one, she's done with basketball. She's uh, on the circuit in club volleyball. My older one now, she's uh, she's still playing JV basketball, freshman JV basketball. Their season's almost over, and she's in club volleyball as well. So the carpooling each and every night uh, is a challenge for my wife, I can tell you that. And I'm sure you love going to the club volleyball when there's like 700 courts. It's great when it's in Louisville, and every once in a while there's a tournament here, but uh, the ones in Indianapolis and beyond, I, I haven't had that opportunity, unfortunately, because I got something going on. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. And coming up here in March Madness 365, right after the Michigan win over Rutgers at Madison Square Garden, I had a chance to catch up with Michigan head coach Juwan Howard. Juwan, uh, this has been a marathon in your first season as a head coach. If you can, just put in perspective – what it's been like so far, you know, where you had the highs of the battle for Atlantis, the grind already of the Big Ten. I mean, how would you assess where this team is at and where you're at at this point in the season? Well, I expected that this wasn't going to be easy. You know, in order for you to get comfortable, you got to get uncomfortable. And, yes, we got out to a great start because we were a healthy team and we were playing some good basketball in the battle of Atlantis. And then we got into the Big Ten season. 
we got off to you know our first win in the Big Ten versus Iowa. So then after that, we hit an injury bug, hit an injury bug to one of our key guys in Livers, um, which been one of the best three point shooters in the league. I understood that the Big Ten is not an easy conference because I played in the Big Ten, and it's still the same a grind out physical conference with a lot of good teams, and so. I knew that we weren't going to be you know, a team that's going to win every game. I would love to see that. Um, but our guys has hung through the adversity that we've been dealt with. And we're not making excuses for ourselves. I enjoy I, – I got into this coaching because I, I'm passionate about the game of basketball. I enjoy teaching it, and I also enjoy learning myself. So during the process, the season's not over. We'll continue to keep grinding game by game, trying to get better game by game. And uh, – I love where, when we get healthy, where we would be and how we can get better from that. You know what I would think that you would definitely appreciate is in the NBA, you go through losing skits. It's a long season. And every coach I've talked to in the Big Ten says, you know what, in this Big Ten, this season, you're going to lose two or three in a row, maybe even four, because it's so good. How did you keep your guys in check when you had a bit of a mini losing skid? Because you know in the big picture – it's a long season, and that, that just happens at this level. Well, one of our core values in our team is being all in. So our group knew it from the day one when I first stepped foot on campus. A, we're a family, but B, well, you got to be all in. And that gives you got to keep feeding, feeding positive energy within the group and, and within one another because it's easy to start pointing fingers and making excuses. But that's not what we're about, and it's been – not just coach-driven, it's been player and coach-driven. You know, our, my players have an active participant in this season, and it's their season. So if you want to do something special within this season, uh, it's important that we as a group have to band together like brothers. And, and last thing, your ability to have uh, an anchor in Xavier Simpson. You had to sit in one game, he comes back, right. plays exceptional. Brandon Johns, you know, has developed into a big score. If you get livers back, obviously that changes things. John Teske as a veteran player. What's it been like for you to have those core veterans along with some of those guys like Brooks and Johns who have developed before your eyes in terms of being major contributors? Well, a lot of those kids you just named like Johns, uh, he's been more like a freshman this year because he didn't play last year. Yes, this is sophomore year. You have a new coach, new system that you have to learn. And then you have a guy like Colin Castleton. He's a freshman, really. Uh, he, David Julius, who's getting, who's in my rotation, you know, really like a freshman. Um, we have a young group. Yes, we have a mixture of Livers, Simpson, and Teske as being the guy, core guys who are senior and one is a junior. Um, it's good to have a blend of, of guys with some experience who can help the younger guys get through some of the, you know, the tough diversity, uh, help teach them teach the game to one another because yes, my voice at times is going to be a little sour, a little stale and they're going to get tired of hearing that voice. But it's good that my seniors have been able to, you know, take ownership and also encourage the group. Appreciate you on. Thank you. Thank you. And now as advertised, Chad Acock from Turner sports. It is time for March Chadness getting closer to March, by the way. Uh, it is February. Uh, Chad, this is where we review my picks and look ahead to this week. And I will say before you even roast me, potentially, uh, you know, I've had an up and down. I've had been hot streaks down, but I think I mirror the season. And I'm not apologizing for some of my misses last week because 
that's just the nature of what we're dealing with. That's right, Andy. You know, you went five and seven. It's your first, you know, sub 500 week in a long time. Even when you've been up, you've been way up. But when you've been down, you've, you've still been floating around 500 or a game or two above. So, yeah, this is your first really, you know, down week. But, hey, it's February, so the madness is getting closer and closer. You know, there are a lot of upsets with, you know, teams like Stanford and Wisconsin picking up big wins at home over, you know, Oregon, Michigan State. But, you know, you did have some bright spots, Andy. You know, that Auburn-Kentucky game was wild with the game day crowd, and you correctly predicted that one. You know, Kansas took down Texas Tech. Maryland beat Iowa. Uh, Texas Tech ended up beating West Virginia for you earlier in the week. And Duke beat Syracuse. So you did have some bright spots. Uh, I guess your biggest miss in terms of just how the game went, because there were a lot of close games, but in terms of your biggest miss, it was that NC State pick. Uh, you know, tried to go on a limb, a uh, team at home that could have could have gotten an upset, and they just kind of got hammered by Louisville there. Yeah, I, I, I probably made a big mistake there. You just heard on the podcast, Chris Mack uh, was on the podcast. I did not bring that up. Uh, because I did, you know, Louisville's, uh, you know, on a, a pretty nice uh, winning streak here. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that NC State would play with more desperation because they are a bubble team, and we can use that word more uh, often here in February. And uh, they just there was a no show, and NC State now is on the odd they're they're on the on the odd side of the bubble right now. And I thought that they would get that signature win, they didn't, uh, and so you know took a gamble. And I was wrong. Yeah, well, let's see if you can write the ship this week. Let's start off with Auburn at Arkansas. As we mentioned, the Tigers took down Kentucky with that game day crowd. Will they keep that momentum going into Bud Walton Arena? All right, so I'm going to go with a desperation pick again here because, you know, I, I I've still have faith in Eric Musselman's crew. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I picked Arkansas to beat Kentucky, and they did not. Uh, if they're going to get in the NCAA tournament, you cannot let – Multiple chances slip by you, and they had a chance with LSU as well. Okay, so what's left? Auburn at home. You got to win one of these if you want to say to the selection committee, we're worthy. So I'm going to put the pressure on Eric Musselman's crew and say, you know what? You got to win this game. So I'm going with Arkansas. Yeah, it feels like a natural, just emotional letdown spot for Auburn, too. You know, we saw and we had Auburn on our uh, Instagram takeover over the weekend, and they were, you know, dancing on the court, dancing in the locker room. Uh, just such an energized crowd. It feels like a spot where they could, you know, be let down at Arkansas. Later that night, Penn State at Michigan State. Lamar Stevens last week topped 2,000 career points, and now he's got a chance to, to lead the Nittany Lions uh, to a statement win in the Breslin Center. Can they pull it off? I'm going to say no. I think Michigan State bounces back uh, from their loss at Wisconsin. Uh, Penn State has righted itself well enough to where they're going to be in the tournament. I believe it. Uh, I'm not expecting them to win every one of these big road games. So I'm going to go with the Spartans. All right. Now let's give you one key game from Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Wednesday, you've got Villanova at Butler. Butler's lost four out of their last six. Uh, While Nova's won seven out of eight, they'd won seven in a row before that loss to Creighton. Uh, But who wins this one in Hinkle? So this is a crazy week for Villanova, um, you know, and I think we're going to get to this later uh, because they host Seton Hall on the weekend. Uh, you know, had I wouldn't feel bad about picking against Villanova had they done what they were supposed to, which was beat Creighton at home over the weekend, but they didn't. And then Butler loses at home to Providence. So th- this is a hard call because, you know, I, I feel like Butler should win this game at home at Henkel. Uh but it's hard for me to see Villanova, you know, losing two or three in a row. Uh, but I, I really think this is a pick 'em game. And, you know, Butler's not playing well right now. So 
you know, in Villanova, I'm gonna I'm gonna believe that might been might have been an outlier. Villanova's already won at Creighton. I'm kind of leaning toward Villanova right now, going into Hinkle and getting the win. Yeah, if anything, that Creighton game could have been a wake-up call for Villanova, so we'll see Wednesday night. But Thursday, you've got Cincinnati at Wichita State. The Bearcats are you know, quietly 7-2 and in the league, half a game behind uh, Tulsa that they beat by 31. Uh, can they sneak out a road W here at Wichita State? Can they, but I say they won't. Uh, with Wichita State still feeling a little burned after giving up that uh, three-pointer at the buzzer, essentially. Last possession, Elijah Joyner for Tulsa to win. So I'm going to go with Wichita State at the Roundhouse to knock off the Bearcats. All right, and Friday you've got Maryland at Illinois. Like Villanova, Illinois had its seven-game streak uh, snapped over the weekend. Do they get back on track with a home win against Maryland? They do. Uh, They should have beaten Maryland in College Park. They had that lead. It was back in December. uh, Blew it. Illinois is a much better team. Maryland's a better team now, too. Uh, and Maryland's been able to win on the road. But Illinois at home in Champaign, uh, they have not stumbled since early in the season when they lost that ridiculous game to Miami. Other than that, I like Illinois to bounce back here at home. They know they can beat Maryland. They almost did it. I say they do it this time. Yeah, I agree. Now let's look at a loaded Saturday. Let's start off with Michigan State at Michigan. You know, here we are again with Michigan State on the road. You know, it seems like a toss-up. We thought we had some faith in them last week, then they lost again. Can they get a road win this time at Michigan? So maybe I'm going to be blinded by covering Michigan this past weekend against Rutgers. But even though Isaiah Livers, we don't know his status as we're taping, did not play against Rutgers, it's now a hip versus a groin. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe by by Saturday he'll be able to go. And even without him, Brandon Johns played great. Uh, Xavier Simpson had the one-game suspension. He's locked in, eight assists, one turnover. Uh, Excuse me, ten assists. Um, yeah, Tennessee. And, um, so, you know, Simpson is playing better, uh, less selfish basketball. And then, you know, Teske, uh, is, I think, uh, going to be a problem inside for Xavier Tillman. So I'm feeling like Michigan will split this season series and get this one at home. All right. Now you've got LSU at Auburn and we touched on Auburn, you know, to start the week, but now Saturday, we've got another just massive game in Auburn arena. Who wins this battle of the Tigers? I'm going to go with Auburn. Uh, LSU has played with fire in the SEC as you know as we're taping here that they were undefeated. But uh, you know I, I love Auburn at home. More of a balanced team than LSU. I think they rebound off of what will I predict be a loss at Arkansas. Yeah, Auburn Arena probably one of the toughest places to play in the country. Especially you saw it with that game day crowd. That that crowd's just rocking. But now you've got West Virginia at Oklahoma. Kind of an underrated little game in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma's hanging around in the tournament discussion. Uh, but they could use another big win. Do they find it here against West Virginia? Well, they could. I think they'll be desperate for it. But I like West Virginia here. Uh, yes, they did. They lost to Texas Tech on the road. But I think West Virginia is just the better team. And, uh, you know, they are going to win some road games here down the stretch in the Big 12. And I think they get this one. All right. Now, you hinted at it earlier. Seton Hall at Villanova. Two teams kind of coming on the wrong end of a a Big East upset from Saturday. Uh, But who gets the win in this one? So here's where I don't see Villanova going on a losing skid because I see them beating Butler. But I like Seton Hall bouncing back. A week after a disastrous start against Xavier, a game they never should have been down like 22-4, to let alone lose. Uh, I think they get this one. I love Miles Powell in a big game moment. Uh, you know, Sandro's back, uh, Romero Gill, 
I think that size will bother Villanova. I think they will step up in the moment, and Seton Hall wins at Villanova. All right, and then 6 o'clock Eastern, Duke at UNC. It's the one game every year you can kind of throw everything out the window and just see what happens. Uh, Cole Anthony's back for this showdown in the Dean Dome. Andy, who are you picking to win this one? So, yes, he's back, and... You know, it seems like in this rivalry, just when you don't think the team that is not having as good a year, you know, you know, is going to win the game, then they play out of their minds, end up either winning or you know, pushing uh, the rival to the brink. But I, I just I can't pick against Duke in this matchup. Not the way North Carolina is playing with or without Cole Anthony. Uh, I'd be surprised many people would pick Carolina even at home in this scenario. I mean, obviously they're not you know, impenetrable at home. They just lost to Boston College at home. So I'm going with Duke on the road in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I agree with the pick, but nothing will surprise me in that one. Uh, Stanford at Colorado. You know, you didn't believe in Stanford last week. Do you believe in them this week? I I believe in them, but not to win at Colorado. Colorado, you know, had that home loss to Oregon State, which really woke woke them up in Boulder. Uh, They got the split uh, in the L.A. schools, kind of reverse- didn't expect they'll probably lose to UCLA, but they came back and pretty won pretty handily against USC. Uh, I, I think they're going to sweep the Bay Area schools coming in uh, to Boulder this weekend, starting with Cal. I think they take down Stanford over the weekend. Yeah, I like Colorado and Boulder as well. Now, the late game Saturday, Gonzaga at St. Mary's. This is one you'll want to stay up to watch. Uh, Moraga should be rocking for this battle with the Zags. Is there any chance St. Mary's pulls an upset here? Oh, yeah, there's a great chance. They have the advantage at the point guard in Jordan Ford. But um, I, I just don't think St. Mary's front court, with or without Killian Tilly for Gonzaga, who's got the ankle sprain now. You know, I mean, look, he goes out. Drew Timmy steps up off the bench and produces for them. Phil Petrusev, our March Madness Player of the Week, he had a great weekend on the road in the Bay Area. You know, where, where St. Mary's strength is on the perimeter, and that's their advantage, uh, I just think the depth, even without Tilly, I, I think is just too much for St. Mary's inside. And the Zags have handled this kind of road environment before. This is going to be their toughest test remaining. Uh, I know they still got actually one more against BYU, but um, this is going to be, uh, you know, one of their final tough tests. And I still think they get it. Yeah, I think it should be a close game all the way down to the wire, but I agree. I think Gonzaga's experience and size uh, should give them the advantage uh, in the end. So there's your 12 picks, and then here's our just weekly check-in on San Diego State. They're 23-0, no issues last week with New Mexico and Utah State. Uh, This week at Air Force shouldn't be an issue. Uh, We'll see if they can keep rolling as well. So I think they will. Uh, And I said this before on our podcast. Um, I referenced this earlier with Joe Lenardi. I I think this is akin to the 4 St. Joe's team that ran the table in the A-10 and then lost – in the A-10 tournament to Xavier, a good Xavier team. Uh, I could definitely see San Diego State running the table in the Mount West and then in the Mount West Conference tournament, which is played at UNLV, which is having a decent year in a rebuilding situation. They could potentially get them. You know, maybe Utah State gets its act together in that scenario. Uh, Boise State's playing a little bit better. Colorado State's playing better. Someone might get them in the tournament, but I'm going to say they're going to go in, and we'll, we'll keep revisiting this, but I'm going to keep saying, I think they go in to the Mountain West Conference tournament undefeated. Yeah, it's a fun story to track as we as we go through February and, you know, enter March. Well, I appreciate it, Chad. We'll see if I can get above 500 this week in our predictions. Uh, thank you, as always, to our guest, Joel Lenardi. 
uh, Chris Mack, Juwan Howard, Chad for keeping me honest. And as always, you can check out our podcast wherever you download your podcasts and all our content on NCAA.com and, of course, all our social media channels through March Madness. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.